Secretary of State is the second highest constitutional office in Oregon. As we have recent example of, the governor can't fulfill their term. The Secretary of State becomes the governor. But unlike the vice president of the United States, the secretary of state has a real portfolio, which includes elections, which includes audits, which includes the corporations division, which includes archives. They're sort of the state's historian. Jamie McLeod Skinner is running for secretary of state, grew up in Tanzania, went to school at Medford, in Medford High School in Southern Oregon, has studied everything from cultural anthropology to civil engineering. She's an attorney, small business owner, and now she's here on X-Ray. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Who are you and why are you running? <laughs> well, uh, I'm running because uh, protecting our democracy is the most important thing we can be doing right now. As we're seeing, you were just talking about the walkout. Um, there's all sorts of stuff going on nationally and statewide. And so making sure we protect our elections, both election security and integrity, making sure that we also um, are identifying what we can do better in government through our audit process. And then also one other thing you didn't mention is the state land board. So making sure we're protecting our natural resources through that role is critically important. And then one again, of three votes. One of three votes. You and one friend can decide <laughs> what we do with state lands. There we go. And waterways. So the governor and state treasurer also serve in that role. And then the other really big thing coming up is redistricting. Um, and so the that's, of course, here in Oregon, that's a responsibility of the legislature. If they, I don't know, hypothetically walk out, then it becomes a responsibility of secretary of state. And uh, that's drawing the political boundaries uh, for our state for the next 10 years is critically important. We don't want uh, Oregon to go the way of Wisconsin and some of the other um, states in our country with gerrymandering. What are the three biggest things that you want to do, particularly those that might differentiate you from other folks running? Yeah, so... Um, the the three points I mentioned, um, election security and integrity, I've got a lot of experience working with um, uh, different communities. I, I worked in refugee resettlement for a while and working with refugee and immigrant communities uh, when I ran for Congress in 2018. Uh, my wife and I live in Central Oregon. So when I uh, ran for Congress in Southern Central and Eastern Oregon, found a lot of folks are not feeling heard. Uh, a lot of vulnerable communities, including our Latinx community and rural communities, um, not necessarily feel like they've got their seat at the table. So bringing those voices into our election process. And then with audits, uh, I don't think audits have been well, we can do a lot more with audits, let's say, to daylight the issues that need to be addressed, and especially around health and safety, worker safety. You know, we've got teachers being beaten up in classrooms. We've got uh, bus drivers who are having kidney problems because they're not allowed to stop to use the bathroom. We have all sorts of like basic safety problems. The folks doing really good work for us and taking care of our families and our communities. And their issues are not being daylighted. And that's something we can do through the audit process. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I talk a lot about Audits, um, you know, it's not just financial audits, also uh, performance audits, making sure money spent the way it's supposed to be spent. Um, uh, equity audits is, are really important, making sure we're identifying those um, different um, different experiences and different opportunities for having the best bang for a buck and providing opportunities for our communities. Um, this is this is especially important for me because I serve on the Jefferson County Education Service District, and our largest school is uh, Madras High. Our smallest school is only five kids, but our, our largest school is Madras High. And the demographics of, of Madras High are a third, a third, a third. A third tribal kids because the Warm Springs Reservation is, is part of that district. A third Latinx kids and a third Caucasian kids. And we're seeing the challenges that our kids are facing are different, and we need to be able to address that. And we, we do that through equity audits to figure out what those, those key issues are. 
Um, also sustainability audits, uh, information security audits, there's a lot we can do there. So the third thing is really um, some of the, the natural resource issues. Um, I'm a natural resource attorney. I worked as an um, my backgrounds in civil engineering, uh, regional planning with a focus on watersheds. Uh, the governor appointed me to serve on the Oregon Watershed Enhancement Board. So making sure that we're protecting our natural resources is part is good for our communities, our economy, and our environment. How do you get people to care about a secretary of state's race? Now, it's it, a governor's race. People kind of know what that is. Yeah. Mayor's race. A lot of people know that what that is, and they interact with it. Yeah. Secretary of state's race. Not as many people. May pay attention. You can challenge my premise. No, not at all. How do you get people to care about it? Uh, you know, it's a lot of mini civics lessons to let people know just how important it is. Um, you mentioned that our secretary of state is also lieutenant governor. We're only one of 10 states in the country. Uh, the fact we the secretary of state oversees audits, we're actually the only state in the country where that's included in that role. Um, you know, the bottom line, the secretary of state's role is to help government be more functional and do better. And that's that's really the key. And that's so much of what we need right now, bringing folks together, focusing on solving our problems and making sure we're identifying where we need to better. And that's the secretary of state. Current secretary of state is not running again or is not running. She didn't run in the first place. She was appointed, essentially appointed to the condition that she wouldn't run. What's a critique that you have of the job of the current secretary of state? Uh, I don't think she has managed the, the ballot initiative process well. Say more. Um, there, there are some process issues. So when uh, some... Um, disagreement came out about how to uh, consider some of the, the ballot processes instead of turning to um, our attorney general, who is essentially the state's um, lawyer. She went to outside counsel and spent our taxpayer dollars to kind of... Who'd she use? Do you remember? Um, I should know this off the top of my head. I bet it was, I bet it was uh, DiLorenzo's guy. Was it, was, did, she go to, did she go to that firm? Uh, I know it was a Portland firm who specializes in timber interests. <laughs> ah, okay. So, and that was the issue at hand. Um, so, there's a couple processings. One again is is the um, ballot language. I think um, as Secretary of State, the process I'd put in place is as language is proposed. Uh, if there's an issue with it, to have that conversation up front before people gather signatures, because otherwise you're just running out the clock on folks. Um, also, having a process in place so when signatures are gathered, that if there's incorrect information being uh, provided, that there's a very quick turnaround and check on that. And that's something I experienced in the last cycle um, in 2018 with the signatures being gathered for the measure we call um, that became Measure 105. Um, my wife and I were, were in Medford um, and in Southern Oregon and we're, we're going into a store and uh, someone was um, giving incorrect information about that and trying to get people to sign up for a, a very regressive measure that yeah. fortunately we were able to defeat. Um, but there should be a process in place when someone's giving misinformation to catch that. Um, the other thing with the Secretary of State recently is just an interpretation she had on um, uh, the single issue rule. Um, I I see that differently. Um, I've got legal training and background, but ultimately, again, I would I would uh, have a conversation with our attorney general on that. Was it Davis Wright? Did she use Greg Chamoff? If you don't remember, that's all right. It's all right. It's not the most important thing I'll ever ask you. Uh, what is the most important thing we can do for election security? If, if your your basic case was something that's inspiring about the Secretary of State's office, that's important about it, something's at stake, is that it is the office that is the sentinel for our state's democracy. And if we want a secure election system, that means we need a, secure, a secretary of state that secures it, that prioritizes its security. What's the biggest thing we can do on that? 
Well, I'm going to mention three things. Uh, one is making sure our systems are intact, and that's working closely with um, uh, both federal agencies. That's working closely with our uh, county clerks to make sure that our systems, the processes we have in place, are sound and secure. And that's some ongoing training. That's in- incorporating some, you know, um, th- the most recent best practices. The other piece is really informing the public. We've seen a lot of dumping of misinformation through social media. So trying to uh, arm and and better inform the public to be able to filter some of that information. I'm finding that young folks do a much better job than older folks. I've, I've had some great conversations with college students who say, of course, we always double check. And speaking with folks with gray hair say, oh, no, whatever I see on the, on you know, whatever my friends send me through. Whatever is in my digital newspaper must yeah, be real. Yeah. So we can do a better job of that. And then the other piece is also what I call election integrity. And that is bringing all um, voices to the table. You know, when we don't have a robust voter turnout, and Oregon does better than most states, but when we are not bringing all the voices to the table um, and people who are finding some barriers uh, have those barriers prevent them from voting, that's a that's a form of, of election uh, security and integrity as well. Was Jennifer Williamson treated unfairly? Should she have dropped out? Um, whether she uh, should have dropped out was ultimately her decision. I... Um, I was disappointed. I was I was surprised. It was news to me when when the news hit. When I saw it, uh, read it in the the Willamette Week, um, and and frankly to everyone on my team because I checked. I was like, what's going on? Um, I, you know, what was made really clear through that article is that she did not break the law. I think that um, if. If there's, uh, you know, people raised, the the article raised issues with some of the decisions she made around resources. If that becomes a problem, if that's an issue, you know, maybe we should be talking about how funds are spent. And if if it's appropriate, establish laws around that. Those laws are not in place now. And so, again, she she did not violate any laws. Um, I think how how we look at election, you know, I I do think – campaign finance and some of these issues, how we look at how money is spent is really important. Uh, I have have not, and in my previous elections, have never taken corporate funds because I think influence is, is a real key issue. Um, so I'm actually the only one in this race um, not taking any corporate money. Um, and I haven't before. The The previous times I've, I've been elected, I was on, I served on the Santa Clara City Council for eight years, um, a city in Silicon Valley, larger than a state Senate district. But in the two elections there, I didn't take uh, corporate money either. I did not when I ran against Greg Walden, um, and I'm not doing it in this race. So that's, I mean, those are some personal decisions, and you, you know, there's, you don't, you're reliant on people to step up then, so you can't necessarily raise as, ma- as many funds that way, um, or the large dollar funds that way. Um, so there's decisions you make as a candidate, but um, I would say the the bottom line in, in the question about Jennifer is she's done some really great things for our state. Um, I, I think there's, with the bigger battles we have on the national scale and even here in Oregon now, we need all the, the allies we can get who are moving forward good policies and are um, socially progressive. I'm a real proud pro-democracy progressive. You know, I think Jennifer's as well. And I think it's overall a loss for our state to have um, her not step forward again and, and look to serve in a leadership role. Biggest difference between you and Mark Hass? Um, our... There's there's several things. Um, I mentioned you know where the money comes from, the background and experience. So I don't come from privilege. I um, you know when I was a kid, my mom would get up early to drive a school bus, um, t- taught all day, and drove a school bus home. She's recently retired. Um, was a substitute teacher as well. I was uh, also when I. 
Um, I'm also the product of, of Oregon schools. Um, the other thing is when I had the, the good fortune um, to, to be able to, to get um, a, a couple degrees, my, my undergraduate in civil engineering, my master's in regional planning, at that point, um, I had had that decision to make. Do I take advantage of the, the, the power of the education that I got to, to, um, to you know, benefit myself? Or do I turn to commit myself to public service? And at that point, um, you know, I, I turned around, reached down the ladder, started pulling people up. And so my first public service was over in Bosnia and Kosovo. Um, back in the day, um, if you were out and I came out at an early age, uh, military was not an option. So I served for the International Rescue Committee, a humanitarian organization. I managed multi-million dollar projects, uh, reconstructing schools and hospitals in Bosnia and Kosovo before returning to the States, working in refugee resettlement. Um, you know, I've, I've um, my path to service has been um, something that's not always benefited me personally, but it's benefited my community, and I'm really proud of that. Um, so you say that as a you say that as a difference. He's been serving in the public sector, you know, as an elected representative for a long time. Is there something about your different backgrounds that suggests a different set of potential decisions, or is it just no, no, we got different backgrounds, and otherwise we'd govern the same? Uh, the PERS vote is a really good one. Um, I'm a uh, was a union member for many years, so that perspective of working family, working class um, is is something that's that's really true to me. Uh, and even in that vote that that was taken, I disagreed about two two issues. One, it it went after people's retirements, but also it essentially extended the timeline for payment. And anyone with a credit card knows that you extend your payment time, you pay more. So it actually is costing taxpayer dollars more. And so that I think was a poor decision. But, you know, the focus on... Um, yeah, we, one can argue, and yeah. I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds of this at this moment, one could argue that the, that the move to PERS should have been to front load payment, to, to actually take a take a big bite maybe through ballot initiative or otherwise and I'm not this is not a political critique this is a hard political problem as, as hard as it is a policy problem but the policy answer might have, in fact rather than delaying those payments so it means a smaller share of the budget for a longer tail instead taking a big bite of the apple paying a bunch down or putting the bonds to pay for it up front now because that can really trim it down the road feel free to disagree with me or move to the next topic and then pop has a question yeah well actually that's um, a, an early investment to pay that down that's actually something we did on the Jefferson County ESD board we we had an, an opportunity to put some funds up front, and that's some that's a commitment we made with, with the same thought of you. You, um, it's a smarter investment, and long term, you save costs. The other thing is on PERS, and I know there's a lot of concern about it. Um, it there was an adjustment made um, over a decade ago that is it was really the course correction that needed to happen in terms of costs, and so now we've got still um, a lot of folks who are in the system, but over time, it's the fix has, has been made in many, or the the solution has been has been incorporated. Um, but just a, a couple of other things on um, the comparison with Mark. I have worked with refugee and, and immigrant communities, um, helping with na the naturalization process, helping connecting people, getting people the right to vote. You know, we worked a lot, um, again, throughout rural communities, uh, working with disadvantaged communities and disempowered communities to provide people the access to their rights. Uh, that's part of my work history. So I've got, I'm a small business owner. I've got the experience in natural resources. I'm experienced in all aspects of the job. 
and, and the key thing around government, and this comes to the audit piece, is understanding how to fix government. And I've worked in organizational development, organizational effectiveness for. Um, you need to understand the, all aspects of the role. So I've been frontline staff, I've been executive management, and I've been elected, uh, you know, elected policymaker. Um, I greatly appreciate his service. I'm not at all under um, undermining that, but I think it's been service through one perspective, and I've just my lens and the folks I've served is a much broader, um, um, much broader cross section of our communities. Pop. Well, I have both a question and then maybe an. Ex- uh, an invitation to express an opinion. My question, you decided to run for Secretary of State after having run quite a credible campaign against an established longtime member of Congress who is not going to be running this year, and there's a good possibility, given the vagaries of the primary system and the fact that there are several Republican candidates, all of whom will probably have credible campaigns. So there's a pretty good chance that there might be a really far right, I won't use the word nut, but very far right candidate on the Republican side. I'm curious as to why you decided to run for Secretary of State instead of taking maybe a really good shot at Congress. Yeah, no, I've, I've gotten that question a lot, uh, given the success that we had in 2018. While I um, fell short overall, we um, we won two counties. We beat uh, Walden 2-1 to one in, in his home county, Hood River. I was the first Democratic congressional candidate to... What were the two counties, Hood River and which? And Deschutes. Deschutes so it was yeah. the first so ben, yeah, congressional yeah. candidate to, to win Deschutes uh, County since the mid-70s. Yeah. And there, no, no other Dems won, it, um, won the whole county. Uh, we also... Um, outperformed actually the governor by 4% in the second congressional district and outperformed Brad Avakian, so the last Dem nominee for secretary of state by 26% in the second congressional district. So we could really win votes, uh, demonstrate we can win votes where a lot of Dems can't. I mean, to the question, the bigger, the bigger issue in 2018 was to flip the House. We needed to bring accountability to Washington, D.C. Now the challenge nationwide is to get a new president and flip the Senate. But the House is in Democratic hands. No one doubts it's going gonna, it's gonna to go back in this cycle. And so the question is, what's the biggest challenge in front of us? Um, what's the biggest risk at stake for Oregonians? And the best, uh, you know, the biggest challenges ahead of us, as I mentioned, are redistricting. Dems cannot lose the Secretary of State's role because of that redistricting piece. And the fact that um, I can win votes statewide is a, is a really key factor. And I had sort of a similar question about some might have thought the move might be, heck, you won Deschutes County as a Democrat uh, who's who's currently serving in a relevant legislative seat or state Senate seat. Uh, same answer. Anything to add on that one? As you're sort of thinking about the process of making the decision coming in the background of this, right, You that dad already laid out a little bit, you run in a what is not a thankless because you got thanked a lot, but generally speaking, a losing proposition of running as the Democrat east of the east of the mountains and south of the mountains, uh, running in uh, running against Greg Walden, and you did you know I don't know better than you expected, but better than the last person had done, and. You know, you were getting celebrated in some Democratic circles, people ready to support you for stuff. You'd built a great team of volunteers, good good set of small donors, uh, and you're ready to do something. And you got to figure out how to spend that political capital, right? And you decided to spend it on this. Anything to add why not a legislative seat, or is it basically the same answer you already gave Pop with respect to Congress? Because I understand the Congress question. I think if you run again, you're running in the same really challenging district. Uh, well, so you're asking about Shoes County? And why yeah. not run? I don't live in Shoes County. My wife and I live in Jefferson oh, County. You would have had so. to move. Why didn't you carpet bag? I understand. That's yeah, a good answer. That, that answer is Might right have been a there. dumb question, but it was no, a good my, answer. My, Bob, go ahead. Well, just the, the one other thing that we did do is we, part of what we were doing last time is we were building up 
a political infrastructure east of the Cascade that will serve others. So you mentioned the Deschutes County race. We got um, Eileen Kiley, a phenomenal candidate who's running for um, running for state senate there, and um, you know, encourage people to check out her website. She's. Did uh, you great. even for a moment consider moving to a moving to a legislative district to run for the legislature? No, hmm. no. All right. And I, like I said, I serve on the Jefferson County uh, Education Service District Board. Um, really proud of that role. You know, working and in, in supporting our, our educators and our kids is uh, means a lot to me. So um, there are many forms of service, and um, and this is this yeah. one person. Pop, your opinion on an idea? I am very concerned about the Republican walkout, and it looks to me like the only way to solve that problem is to have a real penalty for walking out. And so I am looking for somebody with a, I don't don't think it'd have to be a very big bankroll to propose an initiative to change the constitution of the state of Oregon, which would say that any legislator who fails to show up for his or her job without an excuse, and it would have to be worded in such a way so that uh, that the presiding officer couldn't refuse to excuse when there was a good excuse, but would forfeit their office. And once upon a time, we had a law in Oregon that if you told a lie in your campaign, you forfeited your office, and a member of the state senate was removed because she had lied on a campaign ad. I just wonder what you would think about having a rule that said, show up or we will send you home and replace you. Yeah, what should be done about the walkout? Well, um, good governance is critically important, and the Secretary of State plays a role in trying to protect that that um, our how our systems work. Um, I think to this point, we just have to make sure we're taking a big step back and they're not unintended consequences. You know, I think it's funny you raised this because I think it was after last year's walkout that uh, Lane Shetterly, the former Republican member of uh, the House of Reps, I think he served as Speaker Pro Tem from 2001-2004, essentially recommended something like this last year. But he also saw, you know, we've seen both parties do this. Um, I do think that you know, ultimately, folks should be um, doing their jobs and sitting down around the table uh, to to um, to sort through the business of the state. Um, and we've got what's ironic for me is that we've got examples uh, across the state, especially in Eastern Oregon, things like the High Desert Partnership. That is an example of folks sitting down and and working together, and not no one stomping out and actually um, solving problems. To your point of establishing. A criteria or a rule, um, you know. I think it's worth it's worth having the conversation um, and getting it right. I think is going to be key because again, everyone will be held to the same standard. Um, but establishing some criteria is, is something that I think um, you know I I would support because it's we need people to be doing their business and not just shutting down government every time they're they're angry. We got a text in question. Concerned about you being on, about Jamie McLeod Skinner being on the state land board, made statements she wants to represent the rural part of the urban-rural divide. To me, this means she might not be good on issues like the Elliott State Forest and might side with anti-environmental elements of the state, or at least she might be too willing to compromise on issues regarding the environment. How do you respond? Yeah, um, that I'm very influenced by my Southern Oregon um, background, and uh, Southern Oregon is especially concerned with uh, the energy pipeline. Um, the my my 
background and training is... Um, and concerned with the energy pipeline, you mean concerned with making sure there are more energy pipelines, or do you mean trying to block... Impacts, things, concerned yeah. the impacts. So for about uh, five years of my career, I worked as an environmental planner for the Santa Clara Valley Water District. It's a, a water agency that serves about two million people in urban and rural areas, providing clean water, uh, mitigating impacts, uh, environmental impacts from projects. So the way I look at projects, the, the lens I bring is to look at you know the benefits it brings and and the, um, the, the, the impacts, the negative impacts, and whether or not they're significant and the long-term impacts. Um, if those outweigh the benefits, then it's something that, um, you know, then it's not a project I would support. So it was essentially a NEPA review that I was doing. But it's that, that long-term perspective. It's looking at um, the, the impacts from, from many different perspectives. And, and here's some of the areas where I think we really need to be um, – you know, honoring and, and respecting some of our tribal communities, or not some, but our tribal communities, our treaty obligations. Um, when I was in, in law school at the U of O, I uh, studied natural resource law, water law, Indian law. I was the co-director of the Native American Law Student Association my 3L year. And making sure that we are hearing all the voices at the table is a critical part of decision-making, but also looking at some of those impacts. So, you know, making sure we're protecting our natural resources for the long term. Uh, there is, um, you know, we do have some uh, harvesting of our forests in parts of our state that's part of the, the ag interest industry, but we also have old growth. We have some areas that we absolutely need to protect for the long term. And even those folks, I have uh, friends in Southern Oregon who have their own forests and have logged for, for generations, and it's, it's a sustainable practice that they use. So on targeted areas and having sustainable practice is um, is something that has has worked for uh, for private landowners who have have logging rights. Um, but the bottom line is, I've got a very strong environmental track record. Um, when I served, um, when I was down in in the Bay Area and served on the Santa Clara City Council, I was also the chair of the recycling waste, the countywide recycling waste reduction commission. And one of the big issues coming through at the time was single use plastic bags. And I chaired through a solution that um, uh, essentially end up coming state law. And it's very similar to what is now Oregon's state law around um, not using single use plastic bags because the impact on the environment. If you were a die in the world environmentalist, a lead conservation voters member, a Sierra club member, a thousand friends member, uh, would you have a hard time – do you think you'd have a hard time making a decision in this race? Do you think you're all sort of roughly equivalent uh, equivalent environmentalists in this race? And I include Shumia Fagan, who has just, uh, roughly speaking, announced her candidacy. Uh, Cameron Smith, uh, who is running. Mark Hass, who is running. Uh, Jennifer Williamson is no longer running. I don't think I missed – if I missed anybody, I apologize. Uh, anything more you want to say about your credentials as environmentalist vis-a-vis the other candidates? Um, I just I have a track record. I have really strong credentials. I've got the um, I've got the experience being able to look at issues and understand issues. Also, as a natural resource attorney, you know, being able to to um, advocate to protect our natural resources. Um, no one else has a track record I have in the background, and I'm happy to talk about that in detail. We're going to kick out some information on social media. Um, we've been planning to do that to to work down the laundry list. I served on the board of Sustainable Silicon Valley when I was there. I've served on all sorts of um, uh, conservation boards in, in, and that's that urban rural divide piece is not about um, watering down values. 
it's about finding ways to build joint solutions. So, you know, when we talk climate change is such a huge issue right now, and obviously the legislation is causing a walkout. Um, what I w- was working to do in trying to develop a better dialogue um, in the off session or last year after after the, the walkout, trying to bring folks together to have a conversation in rural areas. And also sometimes it's just the language you use. So, you know, in, in metro areas, there's more talk of climate change. In rural areas, we talk about wildfire and drought and flooding. Look at what's happening in Eastern Oregon right now with the flooding. Look what happened a couple of years ago with wildfire. People take these issues very seriously. So sometimes it's using a different language, but it's really pushing for the same long-term solutions. And, um, you know, the getting just getting people into a shouting match causes the walkouts that we're seeing right now. Uh, we need to be able to bring people to the table and build up the political pressure on those Republicans who are walking out. And you can't build up that political pressure by just getting in a shouting match. You've got to get folks in rural communities. And there's a lot of progressives in rural communities that are not seen and heard, but build up that political muscle. And that's a lot of what we did in 2018 to put pressure on folks to make them show at the table and ha- and and um, talk about and create long-term solutions because we're not getting them right now around the climate. How do you win this race? The Democratic primary is one in the Willamette Valley. That is only a mild exaggeration. The vast bulk of Democratic votes that are going to be cast in this Democratic primary are not going to be cast. They're not going to be cast by independents. They're not going to be cast by Republicans. And they're not going to be cast mostly by people in the congressional district where you ran. How do you win this race with uh, running against somebody who's been a state senator in Washington County, running against somebody who's been a state senator in Multnomah and Clackamas counties, right, in the Valley, in this media market, uh, working with the interest groups that tend to have their executive directors living in this town? How do you win this race? Yeah, well, um, the advantage I have is that we've got so many folks jumping in who live in the metro area and work or still recently worked in Salem. Um, So it's a different perspective. A lot of folks in the metro area are not feeling heard and been frustrated by by that. Um, Also, a lot of folks in the metro area recognize that we need statewide leadership uh, from across the state, that if it's we just have this um, narrow silo of of leadership that that's not going to work for folks and that's going to cause conflict and some of the conflict we're seeing right now. Um, so, you know, they're progressive throughout the state. In terms of um, the numbers, I mean, we have to, you know, split the difference. I'm spending about half my time in the metro area and really introduce myself, getting to know folks I haven't met before and then building on relationships we've built before um, and then getting that support uh, in in the valley and um, and throughout the state. Um, I have very high recognition because of 2018. A lot of folks, again, are excited about someone who can bridge that divide. Um, but the numbers, I start with a huge advantage. You know, you mentioned Mark and, and, and even um, Shamia, they typically they're looking at about, you know, maybe 30,000 votes for them. In, in you ran Washington. in a bigger district. They might have been in Multnomah yep. County, in Clackamas County, Washington County, but you ran in a bigger part of the state. Bigger part of the state, but harder place for, for Democrats to win. Yeah. And I uh, outperformed for the last almost 20 years. I mean, Greg in his 20 years has never had that kind of competition before. Yeah. So. We've got that built up. Um, in terms of some of the relationships, um, you know, there, there are organizations that, like Apano, I've been endorsed by Apano. Really honored to have that endorsement. A vocal seniority um, in in the it's an indivisible group. Um, even even Josephine County Democrats. So rarely do, do county Democratic groups step in, but they stepped in because they recognized just how important this race was. But also folks like former um, Secretary of State Gene Atkins, uh, Valdo, uh, Valdez Bravo. So folks from, who represent different perspectives. Some even within the Democratic Party, um, 
you know, Senator Jeff Golden, Representative uh, Alyssa uh, Kenny Geyer. So, you know, from the metro area, who's also You've got seen, metro area endorsers who people trust and listen to. Yeah, exactly. Well, respect. Kitty. What, um, what, what's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, well, I, I wear purple shirt a lot and I get teased for it, but I like purple. Why do you get teased for it or why do you wear purple? Well, it's a little bit darker than lavender. Okay. <laughs> there you go. You, you walked right into that one, buddy. It's a you walked right lavender. into that. Walked right into that. Okay. All right. Um, it's you know it, it also um, it it represents for me the 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 you kind of blending the perspective and that goes to the question before that someone had. Be really clear. Is there you know I'm I'm a proud. Democrat, proud, uh, progressive. But when I was talking about super progressive issues in Eastern Oregon to conservatives, if you t- if you get away from the buzzwords, I had conservatives thinking those were conservative issues. Yeah. It's like it, it's the it's bringing people together and talking about ideas. And so, you know, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Um, and, and but I will also challenge my party when I think it it needs to be challenged. But it's really about focusing on how do we do government better? How do we how do we help our families and communities? And that's your favorite families. color. No, I'm just kidding. That's my purple. And that's why it's better than lavender. It represents What's the dumbest question you've received? You can include the one I just asked. What's the dumbest question you've received as you've been running for Secretary of State? There are no dumb questions. That's so not true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't imagine that's the case. I I think, I think it's it's not a dumb question. It's just not a a not, um, a lack of experience question is folks assume that, um, that, um, that, that there's there's not progressive ideas throughout our state. I mean, there's rural Democrats who are feeling unheard because we've got really progressive ideas from across the state. And so, you know, it's it's almost, you know, I found or I find that a lot of uh, progressives in rural areas will almost like have a, a coming out to me where they're like, oh, I'm so glad you're running because you're, you're our voice in especially metro areas. Let them know that we exist and this yeah. is important to us. Um, the other thing is is being out statewide. I know there's whereas we don't necessarily haven't been able to provide some of the support we need statewide on on issues like uh, for the LGBTQ community, especially for younger kids. You know, I'll have people who will say, well, you know, are you afraid of of being an out lesbian in Eastern Oregon? And one of my favorite things to say when I was running before, especially, was, look, I'm not afraid of, of, um, of being out in Eastern Oregon. What makes me nervous is telling people down in Ashland, which is actually my hometown, down in Ashland, that I listen to country music. It's kind of the sense of, you know, we have these these perceptions about each other, but it's, um, we, when we talk ideas, we've got vast amount of folks agreeing yeah, people on can things. agree. I get that part. I, I want to ask the same head-to-head question with respect to Shamia Fagan. What's make you, what makes you better than her? Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for for her service and, and the work she's done. Um, I've got experience, uh, connections throughout the state. I've got more environmental experience. I've a uh, small business owner. I, I've got, uh, to her as well as the other candidates, I've got aspect experience in all aspects of, of the race. I've got government experience. I've been a union member. Um, and, you know, I've always, you know, I've always... Um, stuck it out. I've, I've always, I've always done the job when I've, I've been given a job. I've always, I've always completed the job. And that's something that I think, um, that, that I think she's, you know, people are, she might get to meet for. It's endorsement season right now. The next couple of weeks, you've mm-hmm. got a lot of endorsement interviews and endorsement questionnaires and decisions to be made by organizations that if this were, I mean, I'm going to compare this for instance, to president Bernie Sanders didn't need a lot of, uh, institutional organizational support once he had built, a, a, a mammoth internet apparatus. Okay, uh, if you're real famous, uh, 
Heck, if you run for if you run for governor, a lot of people are going to start paying attention to that. Organizational endorsements can matter a lot in a Secretary of State's race. They can matter a lot for donations because if you send out a link, hey, Secretary of State, everybody, I, I'm going to do this by six dollar contribution. We're like, wait, wait, what? Secretary of State, remind me of that. It's not yeah. instantly in their Act Blue feed. Uh, so endorsements can matter. What are the endorsements you're paying attention to most that we should pay attention to most that you think are going to matter most for deciding this primary? Yeah. I, Not counting endorsements you already have. Well, I, you know, I do think organizations like Apano are, are really key. Sure, and the ones coming are, up in the next couple yeah. of weeks, which we so, be watching for. You know, I think um, uh, uh, labor, especially around education issues, is, is a really important one. Um, and labor is always part of the conversation, obviously, uh, in terms of infrastructure. But it's also, you know, Part of the resources you look at in a campaign are are um, um, uh, there's a lot of different um, types of resources that fall into that basket. The volunteer base is often what comes. And you just mentioned that that comes with those endorsements. So an endorsement, if it's a nice name, that's nice. But if it comes with an army of support or a lot of resources, that's really what what has that impact. You know, we we built up um, almost. Uh, I think we had about 2,600 volunteers in the C2 race. We've got a lot of folks who are excited about that, and people excited also about this race and being able to to look at things statewide. Um, so we've got a real resource base that we're building off of, and the name recognition. Um, but other endorsements, you know, um, environmental endorsements are important. Um, you know, what are the ones that are going to connect with constituencies? But the ones that that we've secured a lot of the the, the individuals who are well respected around the around the state and who know the role those those I think are really key and who ro- know the role now and who understand the diversity of our state. It's it's one thing when you've got someone who had a very narrow focus of who they served and served a long time ago doesn't necessarily understand the current needs. Yeah. It, it's about people who understand the current needs of our state. Was and that, that hit at Mark Cass? No, it, it's it's not at all. It's about it's about talking, um, recognizing where the needs are now. Homelessness is a huge issue right now, and frankly, my experience working with refugees, homeless folks are no different than domestic refugees. Um, so those experience that understanding of issues. My my international experience. My Understood. It, with a lot of uh, dad. We're about to we're about to wrap. So, but is there something that's burning that you want to say before we do? Well, just directly on this question, very significant or endorsements for a Democrat, NARAL, OLCV, in addition to unions. And I'm wondering, what what is your what do you think your prospects are there, particularly since Shemania has decided to enter the race? Yeah, does that change the endorsement politics a little bit? Um, it well to a certain degree, but and then finish finish however you want because we're going to wrap the interview so you can finish with a flourish. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, I mean, you, you the two you mentioned specific one environmental. I think looking at different environmental organizations and and also looking at from their perspective. Uh, you mentioned early on um, that you know, where relationships are established. So, you know, NARAL uh, took it on the chops from the, the press recently because they had just jumped in and, and done some endorsements based on relationships. You know, um, they they got they got hit in that in the paper just recently. So some of the organizations... Yeah, who was it that they endorsed? We talked about it here. Who was it they endorsed prior to interviews? Well, they did with Jen, and, and they also did yeah. with someone who's, who's running Williams for... Jen and one of the city council candidates. And they, one of the city council... That's, right, that's prior, right. Prior to interviews, they just said, hey, we know this person, we like him, we were encouraged to run. Well, and we Jen served now. on their board, right. in fairness to her. Right. Um, but so there's so a process, and also folks, you know, we've got some of these organizations who say, yeah, we need to work statewide. I mean, you know, you talk about uh, for LGBTQ... Uh, kids, and um, you talk about uh, for for women and, and issues of choice and abortion. You don't 
even if we have really good uh, laws on the books, if you don't have access in in central and eastern and southern Oregon, then those laws are pretty meaningless. What's the endorsement you want most right now? I, um, being the daughter of a teacher and daughter of an educator, I, I'd, I'd love to get the support of of educators. That would that would mean a tremendous amount to me because they also do a, a tremendous amount. I realize that there's yeah, a lot of they're competition. Powerful. They're, they're powerful. Yeah. Well, it's also, I realize there's a lot of uh, competition based on some of the resources that have flown their way. Yeah. Um, and so I know Mark's done a lot of work on that. Um, but, Closing word. Um, Secretary of State is the most important role right now with redistricting coming up. Uh, also, a really key thing is I am not running for governor in 2022. I look forward to, to a good Democrat stepping up and running for that uh, when Kate terms out. But I'm running for this office to fix what needs to be broken, to make sure we're daylighting issues, especially health and safety issues for our workers, identify sustainability issues for our environment, and uh, secure our elections. That's I should have asked you about the... Uh, redistricting initiative that has been put forward. Uh, not a fan, right. not a fan. We, we need to make sure that all our communities, uh, especially communities of color, vulnerable communities are heard and the process doesn't include that. Jamie Cloud Skinner. Hey, I thanks. bet you have a website. I, thank you so much. JamieForOregon.com. It's J-A-M-I-E-F-O-R Oregon.com. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Jefferson.